Hello and welcome to the Next in Line podcast where we are helping to prepare you for whatever is next in line. As always, I'm your host, Chance Pitts, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to this episode. Guys, while I'm your host, I am joined today by my co-host, Miss Lane Pitts, my wonderful wife. Hi, guys. And first and foremost, I want to address the fact that I haven't been posting lately um, as much and the fact that there wasn't a podcast put out this past week on Monday or Thursday. And guys, that's because, one, we were having a race recovery time um, that Monday. I don't think I was capable of putting out a podcast. So we uh, shared a lot of content over the weekend with the Habanero 100, which is our topic today um, on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, which you can find us at Next Line Development on all three of those platforms. Um, but another big reason is because uh, we're actually doing this podcast from our new house that we've been working on getting set whoop up whoop. and moved into. We're very excited about that. Hopefully a week from today, whenever the next podcast comes out on Monday, um, we'll be doing it from the studio that I'm working on building and finishing out uh, this week, getting ready for Labor Day. We've also got a surprise co-host here in Sam, <laughs> my little Australian shepherd. Um, so bear with us, guys. We're still working out the technicalities of this house. But uh, I mentioned Habanero 100. We put out a Q&A post on Facebook, I believe, and uh, Instagram too. But we caught some traction on Facebook, had about 20 different questions come through. We're going to work through answering a lot of those for y'all guys today. Uh, we're also going to do a race recap and just talk about my first 100-mile race, the Habanero 100. Um, it was crazy, unlike anything I've ever been a part of, guys. But another thing I want to go ahead and say is that going forward for the next couple weeks, at least, you're probably going to see one podcast true to form and true to schedule on Monday. There won't be a lot of thoughtful Thursdays just in, unless something crazy pops into my head. Um, just as, like I said, we're finishing out that studio. We're working on our gym. A couple of things here at the house that require my attention um, and getting arranged so we can keep the wife happy and keep her supporting everything that we do because Lord knows she's been very supportive this entire way. Um, so with that, I guess best way to do it um, we went out to Cat Spring, Texas for the Habanero 100 7IL Ranch out there in Cat Spring. It's a wonderful venue, fantastic group. Trail Racing Over Texas was the uh, event coordinating group with Cal out there, the race director. They are always phenomenal. Um, every race I've done with them has been fantastic. I ran most of my ultras with them. Um, and I've really thoroughly enjoy every time they put on a race. The course is always marked really well. The tables are always great. The people are always supportive. Um, and just overall, everything involved in the race is second to none whenever it comes to these races. So that was really cool. We had a good group of people go out. Uh, shout out to, um, obviously, my wife first off, Lane Pitts. Uh, shout out to Lane Diven. Shout out to Kendall Nelson. Michael Ruiz. Billy Pitts. Tammy Pitts. I think that was pretty much the crew that I had with me on site. Uh, big shout out to Kendall and Lane for keeping our camp organized, helping with the planning, getting everything rolling, and just working the back scene of everything going on and making sure bottles were filled, making sure supplements were mixed, food was prepped, all that good stuff. Also, along with that, I'd like to thank the other three guys that I mentioned um, before, 
Billy, Lane, and Michael, who all paced me from anywhere from a half marathon up to about 19 miles uh, during that race. So a phenomenal feat for those guys to come out and run like that and pace me to put their time, give up their weekends. I cannot say thank you enough to my crew, the pacers, even my mom being there being super supportive as well. I know she helped out as well. And the Rice Krispies she brought, of course, those were phenomenal. Um, also, I'd like to say huge congratulations to uh, Chris Barnes and company. I think they were the Nobodies from Nowhere was the name of their team. They took third in their relay over there. Um, Y'all might have caught him on the lives over there. Uh, had to do some editing on some of the lives out there. But, yeah, just a little bit sensitive content. But really enjoyable race. Had a ton of fun. Um, and we got out there. On Saturday, the race started at noon, and we had a goal set for 24 hours, uh, sub-24 hour finish. We did not hit that. We actually put in the work throughout Sunday and into Sunday afternoon um, and ended up with a 26 and a half hour finish time, finishing 17th out of, was it 68? that were are you saying total that signed up 68 or how many dropped out 68 signed up 64 showed up showed up and then 28 finished uh, finished total yes. so i was 17th out of the 28 finishers now over a huge chunk over 50 percent of the racers didn't even finish um whenever i saw the race director at the end of the race he told me he said hey this isn't four time especially on my first ultra marathon like this hundred miler um this is for completion that's what matters in this race uh you can also see i'm wearing the habanero hundred shirt here uh repping it for this podcast but uh it was just all in all it was a crazy experience i've never done anything like it i've never done anything as challenging as this hundred mile ultra marathon that i just completed um like i said couldn't have done it without anybody else it was phenomenal it was a blast um shout out to Corey mitchell as well with legacy farmstead he raised some good money for them out there um, he was able to complete about 50 miles of the race before he had some issues that ended up taking him out of the race for his health side of things that we were a little bit concerned about so Shout out for him to only train for three weeks and go out there and kill it like that is insane. So with that, I think kind of the best way to get this going would be to do some of these Q&A answers. And it's going to probably paint the picture of the full race over the course of some of these Q&As. So my co-host here, Lane, do you mind getting some of these questions going? Sure. Um, so the first one was, oh, I should just pick one. Uh, go, go, down, go down the order so we, we all make sure we hit them all. Okay. So the first one was, what was your mindset at mile 50? It was kind of weird. So at mile 50 in this race, um, that's a halfway point. I was going to say, you're halfway through. And in these long races, uh, you're allowed to have a pacer come in and pace you for the second half of the race to make sure you're staying in tempo, to kind of watch over you, um, keep you on track, help motivate you a little bit. They can't carry any gear for you. They can't touch you and like have any kind of support like that. Um, but it's a mental thing. So mile 50 was a huge mental bump for me because I had Lane Divin join me on that initial loop. Do you remember um, what time you started mile 50? Cause Lane might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but you started it around one in the morning. So you, yeah. had, you had, he had, we had just gotten in some actual food in him. We had burgers there at the camp and yeah, around 1am Lane mm. Divin was going in with him. Yeah, mile it 50. was, 
I had I had my first full meal or I guess my only full meal. I had a burger um, at mile 50 right there. Um, and it was a lot of highs right there because I had just had more food. I got a chance to sit down and rest just a little bit uh, while I was eating. It was one of my longer breaks. Um, I was able to get a pacer in. He had some music playing. It was a really, really good high. But on the other side of that, too, realizing whenever you're sitting there staring at mile 50 and you've ran half the race and you're literally only halfway there, you've ran 50 miles on your two legs and you've still got 50 miles left to go. That is an insane mountain to be looking at. Um, And it goes to the mindset we always talk about. One bite at a time is how you eat an elephant. Uh, How do you climb a mountain? One step at a time. And that's a huge factor there. You can't let yourself focus on the end. You can't let yourself become overwhelmed with what's left. You have to focus just on the next step in front of you, the next lap, whatever it is. Break it down to micro steps so that you can become more successful. So that was the mindset I was trying to maintain at mile 50. You have another question? Over I feel like you maintained that pretty well, too. Um, that was something he told us going into it was to make sure that we focused on just that one step at a time. Make sure you feel I got so caught up on loops that on Facebook Live, I couldn't even remember what miles we were on or how many miles we had done. I was just like, all right, we're on loop eight. Yeah. Yep. And it was easy, it was a better breakdown for me to go by loops as well, because it was more of a digestible thing rather than I ran 30 miles, still got 70 to go. Like that's that's pretty rough. And it was, I don't know if we ever said this, it was 16? It was 16, 6.1 or 6.3 mile loops uh, that we did just over and over and over. Rolling hills, a ton of sand. There was a ton of sand pits. It was like running on a beach. Uh, It was pretty rough. And actually, I think that'll tie in really well to the next question, which is... Yeah, next question. How were your shoes after the race? I had a brand new, pretty much brand new pair of Hoka Speedgoat 5s. Uh, that I was running in. I ordered them specifically because I love the look of them, love the color, love the shoes. I was about to say, it looks like he's running around with Mooshu the dragon from Mulan on his feet. Yeah, she calls she calls them my Mooshu shoes. Uh, but what? <laughs> by the end of the race, the sand was so nasty and caked up, and there was dew at some points, and you get into some water and wet grass and some different things like that. Um, and we had some rain and different things too, but it was so bad by the end of the race, there was just like, a stiffness, a layer of shoe or uh, dirt and grime on the shoes uh, that just they were disgusting by the end of the race. And honestly, I probably should have changed my shoes. Uh, I changed my socks a few times during the race, a couple times during the race, but I never changed my shoes. And I probably should have done that because I was carrying a ton of sand around in the shoes all over them, just dirty, grimy. They weren't flexing like they should have been. Um, and it was just. They were in really rough shape, to answer your question. Uh, they're going to take a lot of cleaning, and honestly, to this day, they still smell absolutely horrendous. So, That's an understatement. But on to the next question. Um, did you ever think that you weren't going to finish? So, with Corey Mitchell, we were running on the first lap, and something that we said to each other, and people think this is an exaggeration whenever I say this, but I'm... I'm a little bit out there and a little bit insane, so I hope that y'all kind of take this for what it is. But running with Corey Mitchell, there's something I said to him on the first lap is, I would rather die out there on that course and be taken off on a stretcher than not finish that race. So while I had kind of a little tick in the back of my mind, I was always worried about the time, I was always worried about my pace, whether I was being 
um, slower because of a injury or something bothering me. Um, I was always worried about making sure I had the capacity and the time to finish the race within the uh, metrics that were set for the race and the time constraints. But there was never really a doubt in my mind that I would finish the race because I, once I set my mind to something and once I decide that I'm going to do it, it is very, very hard to dissuade me from what I'm going to try to do. So uh, to answer that question, there's really not a time that I felt that I wasn't going to finish the race. Even towards the end of it, you were saying like, all right, so we, ha- I think at that point we had two laps left. So we had about 12 miles, a little over 12 miles to go. And we were looking at the time frame, and we were like, all right, even if you took four hours for each loop, you were still going to finish. So even there towards the end, whenever you were really, really hurting, you were able to break it down to be like, no, like it, it's absolutely possible and I'm going to finish this. Yeah, absolutely. Next question, what body what body parts hurt after the race? So actually, um, with about a loop and a half left, so about nine miles or so, um, I had some major issues going on. Um, I say major issues. They're, they're not major lasting injuries or anything like that, but during a race, they're pretty detrimental. Um, I started getting my hip flexor on my right side locking up, a ton of pain on it. I'd been kind of battling it all race, but... Um, or the latter part of the race, I should say it after mile 50, but it really wasn't a spot, um, where it gave me any pain until that nine miles left mark. And it, it really locked up. I could barely move on it. I ran for a little bit, but by the end of the last lap, I was walking the entire lap. Um, and that's why we joked about the hours that I could take on that lap because I literally had to walk it because between my hip flexor not being able to move and lift my leg up, I literally had to lift my right leg up by with hands. My wife had to actually help me the first time to get in the truck with it um, because I couldn't lift my right leg. Um, so that hip flexor was really bothering me. My knee that I've been having some issues with, it came and went, um, and it really didn't bother me that much until after the race a little bit Uh, my ankles I don't know if my tendons and my ankles or something were shot but they were really giving me a fit too Um, and after the race that's really the big three or four things that hit me was both ankles uh, my right hip flexor and then a knee that's that's really all there was right now we're uh, about a week after the race and I feel good. I'm actually about to start a new workout regimen tomorrow. I'm going to start doing some light running again, and I'm going to start working into it. I'm trying to be smart and not overdo anything so I don't injure myself. Next question. What did you think about in your darkest hour of the race? And it's a two-part question. What made you dig deep? So really thinking about what I thought about in the darkest hour of the race, um, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but just – I hit the 30 mile mark and that was a really dark spot for me um, just because it, it wasn't near the longest I'd ever ran. I'd ran a 60 miler before then. So I had ran twice that length, but I started doing math in my head and there's a girl named Becca that she's a coach for ultra marathons. I think out of Georgia, uh, I ran with her in my very first ultra marathon, talked to her quite a bit during that race. Um, and she gave a tip that was basically don't ever do math because you'll trip yourself up. Um, and I realized that during this race, I found that out the hard way because I started doing math on how much time I had left on, or how much, how many miles I had left on about mile 30. And 
realizing in that moment that you ran 30 miles and you could run 30 miles again and then 30 miles again after that and still not be done with the race. I would still have 10 miles left in the race. Doing math like that, that led me down a very, very dark hole. I was also experiencing some cramps um, and minor injury, or not injury, but minor uh, um, just aches and pains, yeah, that kind of set me off a little bit. So that was a very, very dark spot. But what made me dig deep was realizing that at mile 30, I was... 20 miles, I was three loops essentially away from getting a pacer and having the opportunity to get my friends to come out there and run with me. And I knew it was going to change my mindset and motivate me and move me in the right direction. So that was the biggest, uh, darkest spot that I went through and kind of how I chose to dig deep out of it. Next question. Do you think the ice in your sleeves helped or hurt? So... So I think there was a little bit of both, actually. Um, that's a really good question because I wouldn't have thought that would have been a question that would have even uh, been any question to it, right? I would have thought that during this hot race, they would have helped no matter what. But I found that the ice... Explain the ice in the sleeves so, for those who don't know. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, Good point. Um, so I wear long sleeves on my arms whenever I run. And they just, they're skin tight sleeves. And what I do is I stuff ice down them because you have a lot of uh, veins, arteries, that kind of things that run through your arm um, and move a lot of blood. So whenever you're putting ice in there, you're cooling the blood as it comes through your arms and it helps cool down your system overall. Um, So that's the benefit of it. And yes, I think it did help in the heat of the day, in the really hot times whenever I was out there battling. But the kicker was sometimes whenever I was taking longer on the loops, uh, like those walking loops at the end and like some of the other uh, early loops whenever we were in the really, really hot part of the day, the ice would actually melt and then the sleeves would be hot. They would cause me to um, have more heat in my body because I was keeping heat in with these sleeves rather than being able to just vent out um, through my skin. So in some ways there was times whenever they really bothered me, but for the most part, the ice in the sleeves, uh, even on the psychological side of things, it was a really, really nice break from the heat. Next question. Did you hit the wall? This one's from your dad. So I'm assuming you know what, the wall is and if you do please explain so the wall is uh kind of that spot where like uh i think steve pipes asked the question of uh, your darkest spot that's kind of you hit a wall you hit a spot where you feel like everything's going wrong you feel like you can't go forward maybe you're behind on nutrition maybe you're just extremely tired in that moment maybe it's uh it's a spot where everything's hurting and you just have all the pains coming to a head right then and there um there was a few walls in this one um like i said at mile 30 it was a mental wall uh kind of trying to overcome that and find the balance so i can push myself forward and get motivated again that mile 30 was a really big wall um even there was there was even a wall at mile sixty whenever I was catching a lot of cramps um, and and really battling through a lot of cramps and a lot of uh, mental issues. Every time I tried to run or pick up the pace or run uphill, anything that ex- exerted more effort caused me to just cramp up um, in both my uh, hamstrings and my calves as well. So that was something I was battling 
pretty regularly uh, as a wall. And then at mile, uh, I guess that was in the 80s, um, I was fighting a pretty good wall where I guess it was it was like 87 or, or 87 or 92, somewhere in there, like 87 or 90. Um, whenever I got to that spot where I really couldn't run a whole lot anymore, that was a big wall for me because I knew that it was going to be a situation that I ended up dealing with having to be out there longer whenever I knew that I was going to finish, but it was a matter of I had to be out there longer than I wanted to now because I can't run. So if that makes any sense. Um, but yes, I did hit the wall a few different times, bounced right off of it. <laughs> so this one kind of ties into hitting, I'm assuming hitting the wall. What mile or miles did you hit the pain cave? The pain cave, uh, the pain cave is a expression by Courtney DeWalter. She is arguably the best um, 200 mile and above class racer. She's also uh, arguably the best female ultra runner in the world right now. She's phenomenal. She talks about the pain cave um, and the way she describes it. It's a cave that she goes into that she has to battle mentally uh, to overcome the pain that she's feeling and to overcome the situation she finds herself in where she feels unmotivated to continue. She feels like she can't go on because of the pain. Uh, everything's telling her to stop. And she actually imagines herself inside a cave with a chisel, making it bigger uh, making the cave bigger because the cave is metaphorical um, kind of representation of what she can tolerate and what she can handle the capacity that she has to continue and to push through the pain. So I did go into the pain cave at some of those spots like mile 60, like I mentioned whenever I was cramping up and then the pain cave really, really came on in those later miles. Um, I believe my dad was actually walking with me on the last loop and I had to stop a couple times uh, with less than six miles to go in a 100-mile race. I had to physically stop and take a second because uh, my hip and my ankles were just hurting me so, so bad. It was unlike anything I've ever felt and tried to push through in a moment like that. So, yes, hit the pain cave, had to work through it. It was pretty nuts. Um, I think you've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but maybe go into a little more depth or more examples of what did you think about when you, what did you think about to keep you going? So uh, I did a podcast a while back that said uh, motivation can be a screwed up thing. Um, and what I meant by that is motivation comes from weird spots. So there was a couple things I thought about. I thought about that first lap whenever I told Corey Mitchell that I would rather die than not complete this race. That's something that kept me going. Um, my bullheadedness and my stubbornness, um, that's something that definitely made me keep going. Um, picturing the old fat guy that I used to be whenever I was 70 pounds heavier, 60 pounds heavier, um, and realizing that he would have walked away. He wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have completed this race. He would have decided that this wasn't for him and he would have went and ate some food and cracked a beer. And that guy, yeah, no. He wasn't going to own any space in my brain for that. Um, so that was a huge motivator in keeping me going, differentiating myself from that person. And then there's a lot of negativity, too, whenever you're putting yourself out here like this. There's people that doubt. There's people that look at you whenever you don't do the things you're supposed to or whenever you do the things you're supposed to and they think you're doing it for the wrong reasons or whatever. And they have negative comments to say and all those. And those kind of just replayed in my mind on a real 
uh, kind of over and over. And I use that negativity as fuel because I, I'm here to prove to everyone else that an average guy, just a regular old dude can decide to change his life and do extraordinary things. And if he sets his mind to it and he works his ass off, he can achieve it. And that's what I was trying to do. And it was to, to go get over the top of all the negativity, climb over it and get past it. And to just use it as fuel, like I said, and that those were all motivators that kept me going throughout the entire, uh, the entire race, especially in the latter times. So next question, did you get a runner's high at any point? Uh, in the beginning I felt really, really good. So I was moving pretty good. Uh, arguably, uh, not arguably, honestly, the reason why I probably had so much of a, uh, rough time at the end and a crash at the end is because I was running way too hard at the beginning of the race. Um, I didn't stick to my plan that I initially had initially set for myself. Um, and I was in that kind of state of runner's high. Uh, I felt good, felt awesome, thought it was going to be, uh, one of these moments where I just transcended all the pain and all the issues in the world and just pushed through and did this amazing thing. And I found out very quickly that I am not Superman and that I, uh, I can crash and burn, and I sure did. And so that runner's high was short-lived. It lasted maybe like three or four laps, um, and then we really, really got into pushing and and fought the pain cave and the walls and all those those great things. I remember the first lap you came in. You came in with Chris Barnes. Yep. And it made me a little nervous because he talked. He's talked in all his podcasts before then about his knee injury that he had been battling. He wasn't able to train to the fullest extent that he wanted to train at. And so when I saw him and Chris running in together, I got a little nervous. So I'm like, man, are they just supporting each other into the into the finish line here, or is one of them helping the other? Is Chris helping Chance get through? Like, is his knee already bugging him? That's everything that was going through. And then he comes up, and we're like, all right, what do you need? And you're like, I'm good. Oh, I feel good. I feel good. And then the next loop, same thing. And I think, yeah, after the the third one, you were still, you were like, no, I'm, I'm still feeling pretty good. I think about the fourth one is when a few cramps started to hit. Yep. And, um... Not that you went down at any point, but you, it it wasn't the adrenaline, oh, I'm good, I'm good, answer that we got after the first loop. Um, this is one of the last questions. Um, which parts chafed, if any? Oh, man. <laughs> Chafing. Uh, 100 miles of running with material, whether it's your running vest, whether it's your shoes, socks, uh, shirt, shorts, underwear, rubbing against your body is going to cause issues. Um, sweat, especially out there in Southeast Texas where it's super, super humid. Um, I don't think there was really many spots on me that had clothing that weren't chafed. Um, something that a lot of people get are blisters and hot spots on their feet. I put a healthy layer of salty britches, which is basically like a, uh, new and improved body glide that, uh, there's a lady that makes it either. And I think she's in Georgia as well. Um, but salty britches, it is a ointment that helps get like the, the chafing and all that helps prevent those things from happening, the blisters. And so my feet were actually in way, way better shape than they, uh, they deserve to be. Um, same thing with like, 
I don't know what else to say besides same thing with my nipples. Uh, that's something a lot of marathon runners and people experience. Um, no issues there either. Now, my shirt, especially the lines where my running vest came across and my straps were, um, my middle of my back even uh, from that pack rubbing, um, and then everything in my underwear, uh, yeah, it chafed like crazy. Uh, just rough, very, very rough. So that's the answer to that question. Um, I came out probably more fortunate than I should have, uh, but hopefully we'll be in a little bit drier climate next time whenever we run one of these. So <laughs> we'll see if we can avoid that a little bit. That's what I, I kind of, I was going to ask you to hit on that a little bit. So whenever we went to the race briefing, um, that was the day before it was on Friday from like four to five. They were saying that it was going to be a cooler race with the rain and the rain we, they had gotten before, like the week before the race, it had, it had rained a whole, whole lot, but, and I, I honestly, I thought it was going to be a little bit cooler. I was super stoked for that. And then we get there on race day and that sun is just beating down so, so hot. And then you crank that humidity up. I remember we got there at nine, nine thirty or so. Yeah, I think nine thirty ish. And I remember looking at I mean, it was the Apple weather app, so it's not super accurate, but it was eighty seven and it already felt like ninety nine and it was nine thirty in the morning. Twelve o'clock start and man, we had a we had a guy that sat next to us. Um, that came over from Napa, California. His name was Todd, but I cannot remember his last name. Um, and he, it was his first race to run in Texas. And he was like, it's hot. Like even throughout the night, I remember because he, because he traveled from California, he wasn't able to bring a whole lot of stuff with him to help support himself. So we were just like giving him, making him, we were making him sit down and eat burgers because he needed some real food. And yeah. he, even throughout the night, he's like, I cannot cool down. Like he, he just couldn't cool down enough. And while they say it was a cooler race, 64 people started and only 28 finished and 24, the names are on the back of his shirt right here. There was only 24 finishers last year. So while it might've been a few degrees cooler, it was definitely brutal. And I didn't even run the race. I just sat under the canopy yeah it it was a it was a very very hard experience um by the end of the race i was dehydrated i was overheated i was under nutrition um it was rough it was really really bad um i actually felt like at a point that i was going to pass out after the race um so really had to work through recovery and pay attention these things aren't easy they aren't healthy to do either uh, for the most part it is a big mental challenge it is a big physical challenge um, and honestly I'll, I'll be straight with y'all at the end of the race I, I teared up I cried I mean it was it was an experience like no other it to do that and accomplish that and to push through the hard things to finish a hundred mile race, is like nothing I've ever done in my life. Um, if you, whatever your hundred mile race is in your life, I, I hope you get to experience that victory in achieving that because it, it gave me a sense of confidence and understanding in what is possible in this world that I don't think anything else in my life has done up to this point. Um, and it was a phenomenal thing. It was a ton of fun. 
looking back on it, it was really rough. Um, and I'm really excited to see what's next, what's next in line. That's what I was about to ask. So I lied. We were done with the questions from online. Um, but I'm a little scared. I think I have an idea of what truly is next in line, but what is next in line besides finishing getting this house put together? Yeah. Um, so obviously the house, the studio, the gym is all rolled into one that we're going to build out here at the house. Um, and that's kind of on the, on the scale of things that we have here in front of us. But I am looking on the horizon of the next big bad thing that I want to take on. Um, and I think that if I can pull it off, I can get the resources, I can get the people, um, because it's going to be a massive undertaking. I think that I want to take on a race that's called Cocodona 250 this coming May. Um, it is the first week of May. It is a 250-mile foot race, ultra marathon, through Arizona. I think it's a five-day cutoff. Um, and it is it is a insane race. It is something that scares the hell out of me. Uh, but usually, whenever scares I scares the hell out of you. <laughs> usually, whenever I find something that scares the hell out of me, it tells me I'm going in the right direction. So, I want to look hard at Cocodona 250. I want to see if it's what's for me. I want to understand what it's going to take to train for it because that training schedule starts like in a month, uh, really gearing up and trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to cover a ton of miles over the course of five days, um, hopefully less than that, but five days. It involves a full crew. It's actually point to point, so the crew will have to be in a van moving from point to point with me um, and meeting me at aid stations, providing me with things. It is very long stretches without um, contact with people. It's very long stretches with uh, limited resources only, what you can carry on your back. Um, so, Do you get pacers for that race? You do get pacers for that race, so that's going to be a huge one, trying to find out who in the world could pace me for that, uh, who's going to be willing to, because you're talking about running marathon lengths uh, as a pacer. As a pacer. As a pacer. Um, so it's, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be insane. Um, it's going to be very, very particular, but... I, I want to see if I can get everything in line and try to figure out how to do it. And if we can, that's that's what's next in line for me. It's a super technical ride, isn't it? It is. It is. And and that also answers the two questions that I had from kind of in person outside that I've been getting a lot, which are, are you ever going to do another 100-mile race? Yes. The answer is yes. I, I want another one. I want to reach my full potential because I don't feel like I did that in this race. This was a big-time learning experience. Um, then the next question of course was what is the longest race you plan to run? And we're going to look at it. If it's not this year, it'll be next year, but I'll tell you right now, we're going to push like hell for it to be this year. So wait, like this calendar year, uh, this coming year, next May, it already passed for this year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we got, we got some time. We got some time. Don't worry. But that's, that's where I'm at. Um, I hope we answered every question. I hope I gave a pretty decent recap of the race um shout out to everyone from habanero 100 the crew the volunteers everyone that did their thing thank you so much 7il it's just a phenomenal collaboration from everyone that made that race possible um even the guy that went out and set the new course record and took first place this year just phenomenal it's an insane effort 
that that went into this thing and and everybody that showed up really showed out so guys i think that's all i've got do you have anything else nothing for me all right well guys like i said if you got any kind of value if you enjoyed this show if we answered some cool questions uh that you had questions uh from this race please make sure you're sharing the show with like-minded people that's the number one way for us to grow to reach more people and to inspire people to do great things with their life Guys, also check us out on social media. That's at Next in Line Development on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And always be prepared for whatever is next in line.